Welcome to Spill the Char podcast, where you join us, Phoebe, Elsa, Lauren and Joelle on our virtual terrace as we discuss the British Asian female experiences today. We hope we will help, inspire and encourage you. So grab a drink and come join us in today's episode. Uh, welcome back to another episode of Spill the Char. Today we have another special guest. Um, and he'll introduce himself a little more in a second. But firstly, I think we should explain the name of this episode, which is the Gwai Lowdown. So, esteemed guest, can you please introduce yourself and also the the reasoning behind the title? Hi, everyone. My name is Ollie, and I guess I'm the Guaylo who's been invited to speak <laughs> on the Gwai Lowdown. <laughs> I'm the youth pastor at the Chinese Church in London, which is how I know you four girls and saw you grow up as teenagers. Um, and yeah, even though I work in a Chinese church and I've been there for some years, I'm not Chinese myself. I'm white, although I do class myself as an honorary Chinese person. So I'm here to give mm. you the Gui lowdown today. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when I heard that you guys had started a podcast about the British Asian female experience, I was like, well, as a white male, I need to, I need to get in on that. <laughs> <laughs> so here I am. Thanks for having me. But yeah, do you want to explain what Gui Lou means? Well, it's a, well, some people think it's a derogatory term. I do not see it as a derogatory term. I'm more than happy to be called that. Um, but it's a, a term used in Chinese language to refer to um, foreigners. And I guess it comes from the translation for ghost. <laughs> Wait, what is it in um, Mandarin? Because Guaido is Kanto. I've never been called that in Mandarin. They just say Lao Wai. Oh, yeah. Like, literally means old foreigner. That's just what they call it. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I did get called that once by a Chinese guy who didn't know that I could understand what you were saying. That's <laughs> so, Ollie, you can speak Mandarin. Do you want to give us a bit of background of where you learnt to speak Chinese? Yeah, sure. And I listened to your Chinese New Year episode where you guys recorded all in Chinese. That was very impressive, might I say. Uh, Joelle, Phoebe, Elsa. Um, so- <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag leave Lauren alone. <laughs> Hashtag leave Lauren alone. <laughs> I'm kidding. I was actually very impressed <laughs> with with that whole episode. That was good. Um yeah, I mean, I'm not one to talk. My my Mandarin's pretty rusty, but I did I did learn Mandarin um, basically throughout secondary school. So I started in year seven when I was 11 years old. Was it compulsory? Yeah, so my school was like one of the first Whoa. Um, like state schools to make learning Chinese compulsory. Um, I then chose to do it for GCSE because I really enjoyed it. Got my A star in GCSE and then... Um, wow. Yeah, I decided to stay on doing that. And then I studied Chinese at uni as well for a couple of years uh, in London and then went to Beijing as part of my course um, to, yeah, just to study there for a few months for a term. Wait, where did you study? Uh, So I studied Chinese at uh, the University of London's School of Oriental and African Studies, SOAS. Um, So I did, the course was called Chinese Classical and Modern, which basically meant that I had to learn, it was Mandarin. I had to learn simplified and traditional characters, but we also had to learn classical Chinese, which is like Confucius, like proverbs oh, wow. and stuff. That was a really hard module. Can you do you remember any? No, and I got like 41 in that module. I scraped <laughs> to pass. Nice. <laughs> I remember in Chinese school we had to learn those like say to you, right? Um, and from like laid back the, the poetry. 
interesting. Yeah, some of those parts of learning Chinese were not fun. And like, have you guys heard of radicals? Did you have to do that at Chinese school? Yeah. So like writing Chinese characters, you have to learn all the radicals, like the different components of the characters. And then we'd have like a weekly test where our teachers would just like call out a number. So it'd be like number 132. And you'd have to like write down radical number 132 because they're all numbered and they all mean different things. And yeah, that was not fun. <laughs> but I enjoyed learning Mandarin. <laughs> so Ollie, do you want to tell us your experience about studying in Beijing then? Or were you studying? Were you working? Yeah, I was studying in Beijing for a term um, at... It's really weird. It's called Beijing Normal University, which is like, it's just the way it's so the translation um, from Shifan. It means like teacher training. But for some reason, they decided that the English word for that is normal, like a normal institution. Um, so it's a teacher training university. Um, I was originally thinking of going into language teaching, actually. So yeah, I studied Mandarin as well as French and Spanish at A-level. Um, so I thought I'd go into teaching languages in, like, in a secondary school. That didn't quite work out. And here we are. <laughs> here I am. Yeah, still connected to Chinese, I guess. But I don't get to use my Chinese much in the Chinese church. I mean, I'm obviously like part of that. It's a big Chinese community here in, in London, in the UK. Um, but I do youth work, so I get to speak English most of the time. But it does come in handy, like being able to understand uh, like families and being able to communicate with parents of, of those kids as well. But yeah, studying in China was an interesting experience. I mean, I was only 19 at the time. So going away um, to study abroad was, yeah, pretty, it was a big thing to do. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed it and just loved like immersing myself in like, Chinese culture. I'd been to China many times, um, but to be there for like an extended period of time, I guess, uh, yeah, just like learning the Chinese ways. <laughs> it was pretty interesting. Yeah, I had to count actually, but in my passport, I think I could count like nine or 10 Chinese visas wow. um, and my residence permit for when I was studying there for a term. This is like just over 10 years ago. So I was drinking bubble tea when it cost 50p a cup and before it was cool. Wow. Before, before the hype that we see nowadays. Hmm. What was your go-to bubble tea? Well, back then it was literally just milk tea with pearls <laughs> like <laughs> i think this before they started doing flavors or like before the taiwan influence like on bubble tea culture came over um so yeah it was pretty simple back then but nowadays i just go for a, a jasmine green milk tea with pearls what's your what's your favorite bubble tea shop in london because the best bubble tea shop i've been to in the world is in taiwan and it's oh. amazing and it's like it's like a street one that's right next to this amazing street food place where you can get those like gua bao it's like the the you know the thick like manto kind of bao bread with like just the most amazing street food filling and then right next to it is this bubble tea shop and it's like literally less than a, a pound and it's the best bubble tea i've had in my life compared to all of these like london chinatown whatever but in chinatown i tend to go to happy lemon because it tends to be cheaper really but i don't know if it's the best yeah all of these places now they're like over four pounds just for yeah. bubble tea. Um, so listeners might be thinking, you know, if you've been to China so much and um, really into Chinese culture, uh, has anyone ever asked you if you've got a thing for like Chinese <laughs> things? Thing for Chinese things. 
Yeah, Ollie has a thing for like Chinese supermarkets, like Chinese food. <laughs> you know what I mean, okay? <laughs> Never been asked that, but I am aware that there are people who are sort of drawn towards the Chinese community or the Asian community for whatever reasons. Um, for me, I, I guess being part of the Chinese church, it was just something that became, it came naturally because I was used to like learning about Chinese culture, learning Chinese language. I, I felt very at home being around Chinese people. So when I started going to the Chinese church um, in London, I just kind of started to naturally um, build good friendships with people there. And then suddenly like all of my friends were those Chinese people. Um, and then, yeah, I met my now wife in the Chinese church. Um, so yeah, she's a BBC and we've been married. We've been together for, I think like 13 years now. Wow. And married for seven. It will be eight years this year. Yeah. Wow. wow. I remember going to your wedding. You did. Yes. You're very young. <laughs> yeah. We had a Western church wedding, but with obviously Chinese side and English side, which was quite interesting. Oh. <gasps> Did you yeah. do like the tea ceremony? We did. Yeah, we did like the whole damta thing, like in between our ceremony and our reception. So oh, just with oh. like Jan's parents. Um, and then my parents took part as well because they wanted to show that they're like just willing to be open to <laughs> culture. Um, but they didn't have a clue what was going on. And there's like Jan's <laughs> aunt just standing there like, saying all the things in Cantonese that whatever you say, like when you do the tea ceremony. And my parents were just like, yeah, we just have to nod and hand over the red envelope. <laughs> <laughs> the red envelope is the key part. Exactly. <laughs> Did you do the whole like games as well? No, we didn't. But I've been, I've been a groomsman twice for like two of my best friends who got married and like their, their wives are also Chinese. They're Chinese. So they're like, bridal party all in, insisted on doing these like Chinese games <laughs> oh what's your most memorable thing that you did for those games oh, we had to eat like really spicy gong zai mean oh, on the morning and it was like first thing in the morning right and so oh no and I was the driver so I drove like my two friends over and then yeah there's my friend who's getting married and then they're like oh you guys have to have to eat this and then there's like <laughs> In the noodles, there was like a hot dog, and you had to like pass the hot dog to each other and like take a bite <laughs> until it looks like you're kissing. Um, but yeah, it's just the spiciness that then is obviously just like the taste is just in your mouth, and then you've got to go like to the wedding ceremony. Did you have to go to the toilet or not? <laughs> no, luckily I didn't have that problem. It was just like <laughs> spice level on fire. <laughs> <laughs> So how was it when um, your family and Jan's family met? We were really worried. I think just like the daunting thought of like any families like meeting right when you're dating. But I guess families from two different cultural backgrounds coming together, that was quite scary. Or we didn't know what to expect. But actually it was okay. Um, I think we were worried that we would have to like translate, even though both sets of parents are speaking English like would they understand each other um mm. but actually yeah they were largely okay I think we just like met at Jan's parents house and then went out for a meal the house that you're in now I am now <laughs> currently in this house yeah so during this lockdown I'm I'm here while Jan's parents are in Hong Kong so we're staying in their place 
um, while our flat's being renovated. So I'm actually living in a Chinese household right now. Like Yan's brother lives here. Um, she's got a cousin from Hong Kong who's studying at uni in the UK, but obviously during lockdown, he's here, like at his guardian home. Um, and Yan's uncle also lives here downstairs and he he runs a takeaway. So it's, yeah, I was in a living in a Chinese household for Chinese New Year, which was a new thing to me. Wow. We actually got to have like hot pot, uh, which was quite nice. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. So like being in China, like what memories do you have or funny memories do you have being in China? So I've got a lot of memories from my time in China, mostly from like the shorter trips here and there. Um, so I think most recently, well, I've been back with my wife, Yan, since because she hadn't been to mainland China. Um, but prior to that, I'd been with a, a large group of friends from church um, who are all BBCs and don't really speak Mandarin. So like they're mostly from Canto speaking families. So I ended up being their translator in <laughs> mainland China, which was quite funny. Just, just nonstop, like people coming up to us and just speaking at this group of Chinese looking people who all then just like <laughs> look blankly and then all in turn, just like look to me and just wait for me to translate. <laughs> and then I open my mouth and speak Mandarin and these people are just like, what? What's going on? <laughs> uh, so that definitely stands out. And then apart from that, I guess my first ever trip to China when I was in year nine at school. Um, so 14 years old in the summer. And it was like a summer school thing. Um, so we were there for like for the whole summer holidays, basically, um, in a place called Hangzhou in Zhejiang province, which is known for its, it's basically just a big lake, the West Lake. That's all it's known for. Um <laughs> and pretty girls that's what they say <laughs> they say the girls from the, from there are pretty um and yeah we were there on this summer school and i think like at the weekends or something we would have to go and stay with host families and just the idea was like to get immersed in chinese culture and get to know like what chinese families are like and so i was with this host family and the son took me um roller skating just like as an activity just to do something fun and i actually fell over down a slope because there's not much health and safety in China and there was no handrail to hold on to so I like went flying into a counter and broke my arm and had to be taken to hospital and oh. I mean I felt so bad because I walked into this hospital and there were like people sitting in this waiting room like waiting to be seen but because I'm a foreigner and because they assume that foreigners have money right so they saw me and they were just like you come come to the front and I was like literally walking past like there was a little girl whose head was bleeding and I was just like no I'm fine I'm fine and then they were just like no you come through first and um I got given like medicine it was after that that I decided I need to learn how to say in Mandarin I'm allergic to penicillin because they nearly gave me <laughs> penicillin which would have killed me <laughs> and at the time I had no idea how to say that um so that was a bit of an ordeal. I then had to have my arm in a cast for the rest of that trip in like the summer humidity in China. So I've got these pictures of me walking around all of these like sites with my arm in a cast. But the worst bit about it was getting home after that and this host family just saying, oh, you must be so hungry. Let us feed you, <laughs> as Chinese people love to do. Let's feed you. And then they had all of this food and it looked so great. And there was like watermelon, right? Because you, you eat watermelon in, in China and Asia in the summer to cool down. 
And I was just so looking forward to taking a massive bite of this like massive piece of watermelon. <laughs> and then they were like, oh, wait, wait, wait. We know that you English people love to have sauce on your food. And then they proceeded to pour oh, no. like seafood sauce over the watermelon. <laughs> And I just looked at it. I just wanted to cry. I was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've never, that was, I mean, that's going back over 15 years now. And I, that that memory will stay with me forever. That was my first, <laughs> first experience of China. Chinese hospitality. Yeah. So is that what you think about when you look at watermelons now? Like, <laughs> you see that seafood sauce on top of that watermelon? Pretty much, yeah. The trauma. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even like seafood, so seafood sauce is a nightmare for me. Speaking about food, though, um, do you prefer Western food or Chinese food more? Or actually, what do you cook more at home, Ollie? Do you even cook? <laughs> I do try to cook. If I cook, so mean. Like, <laughs> if I cook Chinese food, it's it's pretty simple. Like it will just be some sort of meat with rice or a quick stir fry. But my wife Yan, she's the sort of person who can open the cupboards look see what we've got in the fridge and she'll just like put it all together and make something tasty whereas I'm the sort of person who needs to like map things out and have a recipe to follow know what I'm doing buy the ingredients Um, so she prefers cooking Chinese food when she cooks because she likes to try and keep in touch with her Chinese heritage I think as a BBC she often feels like there's not much uh, in terms of connection with with her cultural background um which I think is why when we're around her family, she kind of tries to speak Chinese as much mm. as she can. And then she'll just start speaking at me and expect me to understand as well. So I kind of picked up Cantonese just from listening to them. But yeah, food wise, I think, I mean, I have to be true to myself and Western food does t- like tend to be my absolute fave. If it comes to like, if I could only eat one thing for the rest of my life, either roast dinner or steak. Yeah, I just, I can't, can't give that up. But generally, you know, Chinese cooking is a lot more flavoursome. <laughs> English food tends to be pretty plain. Uh, yeah, pretty uh, bland most of the time. Oh, so Ollie, you would give up dim sum, bubble tea, roast duck, all that? My mouth is watering now. Um, <laughs> I mean, if I absolutely had to, then yeah, I would. But obviously, I love I love all of that. I haven't had dim sum for so long now, though. Yeah. I know. Oh. So I guess when the time comes, um, if you were to raise your children, how would you, um, well, them being BBCs, how would you allow them to kind of assimilate into both kind of Chinese culture and that heritage um, that Yang comes from, but also, um, well, I guess growing up in the UK, we're influenced by where we're living. Um, would you stay in the UK to live, raising biracial kids, or would you maybe decide to go to Hong Kong? Yeah, so we don't have kids yet, but we do often talk about this because uh, we would like to have kids one day. Um, and Jan's a doctor in the NHS, so I think we're kind of coming to the terms of the fact that we are middle class. And as we walk around like our neighbourhood and we look at houses and we think, oh, you know, would we would we move out of our flat if we have a family? Would we live somewhere like this? Would it be about the schools? Which kind of schools would we send our kids to? Because you know, Chinese parents always want their kids to go to the best schools, right? And then we ask ourselves, would we send them to Chinese school? Would we bring them up like as bilingual or trilingual? I think we would like to, at least to try and use Chinese at home um, here and there so that our kids can pick it up. Um, Mm. But I guess by then it'll be like 
secondhand Chinese, right? So I don't know whether our Chinese is good enough that we could actually bring up our kids to speak Chinese. They probably have to still study it. But yeah, we do have those discussions. Jan's very persistent in saying that, you know, kids will be sporty because she did gymnastics and they'll have to learn the piano. And I'm just like, as long as it's not the violin, because that... <laughs> like a screeching cat oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah fun fact we all learned the violin yeah i'm sure you're much better at it now if you pursued it <laughs> no. yeah, if big if <laughs> yeah no it's calm like you should teach mm-hmm. them mandarin and then yeah, yeah i'd like to Cantonese. and they could always you know practice their mandarin with your uh, very good friend <laughs> <laughs> Yes. We had an experience this last weekend of shocking uh, somebody with my Mandarin, which I haven't done for a while. Actually, like, I think when I was a teenager learning Mandarin, like I was pretty cocky and I'd love to go to Chinatown and just like whip out the Mandarin when I'm ordering my food. And I haven't done it for a while. But um, yeah, I had to go and because our flat's being renovated, which is why we're staying here. But I had to go and thing up. So I had to pick up the keys from the builder. Um, so I drove to the builders, like he's got a team of people. And so he's got this guy on his team who I've never met before. And they're all from mainland China. And the guy who, like my friend, who's the builder, like who manages the team, he's like, oh, speak Mandarin to them. Like, they'll be so shocked. I was like, no, I don't need to. He's like, no, you do. Cause they don't speak English. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> so I do need to. So I literally knocked on this, this guy's door. And his partner answered the door and she she clearly wasn't expecting me. And she saw this white guy like wearing a face mask and I was just like about to speak. And she started closing the door before I'd even said anything. <laughs> and I had to like speak Mandarin just to be like, oh, no, wait, I'm so-and-so's friend. I'm like, I'm here to speak to your husband. And then she just like looked at me and her jaw just dropped. And then the guy appeared behind her and was just like in Mandarin. Obviously, he's like, you can speak Mandarin. <laughs> And I was like, yeah, yeah, I can. I'm here to collect my keys. Um, sorry to trouble you, like my fanny. I'm sorry, but can I can I collect my keys? <laughs> yeah. They were just they both just stood staring at me and he was holding the keys, but he wasn't like giving them to me. They're just like standing there in shock. And I was just like, Yeah, so uh the keys. <laughs> yeah, it'd been a while. I mean, I do have I do have a bit of fun with that, I must admit. So, um, yeah, before we wrap up, do you have any, like, funny last memories to share with our listeners? I mean, integrating into the Chinese community as an honorary Chinese person or a hard-boiled egg, white on the outside, <laughs> the opposite of a, of a banana, basically. Um, yeah, there have been, like, a few things that have happened. Um, but, like, generally, yeah, I felt very welcomed. Um, so much so that there was this one time where in the office of the Chinese church um, where I work, there was this old lady who does the cleaning for us. And someone like, I can't remember who it was, someone, one of my friends who I work with um, had written Guaylo, like in Chinese characters on my coffee maker, my cafetiere French press thing. And it was like in permanent marker. <laughs> and I came in one day and there was a note from the cleaner, like this old lady. And she was like, oh, someone had left this, horrible phrase written Aww. on your cafetiere so i've i've scrubbed it off like i've spent eight scrubbing it to get the i didn't want you to like feel hurt or upset by what they were calling Aww. you and obviously i was fine with it i was just like but obviously some people do see that as a derogatory term so um bless her but that was quite funny <laughs> actually i do want to ask you guys a question go for it 
obviously we're talking about me being a white guy in the Chinese community. What was it like for you guys, like growing up, having me as your youth pastor, your leader in church, full of Chinese people, but this random white guy? Um, I feel like because we've grown up with you being our youth leader, it's really normal for us, I guess. So that's what I think. Yeah, and then there's times when we go to lunch together and stuff, and then it's like, yeah, we probably look like a weird bunch of... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, yeah, I think it's because we've grown up and we're used to it, so it didn't really occur to me to even, like, question it, I guess. Yeah. And also because you're you're not the only, like, non-Chinese in church, because there are other people who aren't Chinese that go to our church. Because I went to a different congregation before, which had leaders who were of an old age range. I was very grateful for Ollie <laughs> being there because it felt like he would understand us more. Yeah, I have I have to say, Ollie, you do make a good effort with trying to like be down with the kids. And <laughs> you know, I have to say, I feel like you say you speak Mandarin, obviously English, a bit of Cantonese, but you also have learned <laughs> the different dialects of London. <laughs> I know there are, <laughs> there are lots of South London kids, a lot of North London kids, and all the lingo. And you keep up to date with that, which is very impressive. Mm. Mm. True, I am fluent in youth speak. <laughs> youth with an F. But that's not always. <laughs> I know you say that as a compliment, but that's not always a compliment. Because <laughs> what you're really saying is you're a fuddy-duddy and <laughs> it shows. <laughs> okay, yeah, I'm in my 30s now. Okay. <laughs> do you remember when Ollie used to do the floss like all the time? Yeah. Just, like stick Can to we my head. with you? <laughs> Thank goodness this is a podcast. <laughs> yeah, but we have an Instagram. Yeah, right. <laughs> there, there's enough footage out there. <laughs> I cannot erase. But yeah, if anyone is looking for a Chinese and English speaking church or interested in youth group, feel free to check out at TNG Ministry on Instagram. Um, but yeah, this brings us to the end of this episode. So thank you so much, Ollie, for coming on to chat to us and sharing your stories and memories. And hopefully you guys have enjoyed listening too. And we'll see you guys in our next episode. Bye. You just finished listening to an episode of Spill the Char podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure to subscribe, share and leave a review on your favourite podcast player. Follow us on Instagram at spillthechar.pod. And we'll see you back on our virtual terrace on our next episode.